Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Hello and welcome to this special episode of Think Like a Penguin and it is Mental Health Awareness Week. Just a disclaimer, um, I will be sharing my personal account and story and sort of journey with mental health, uh, poor mental health and how I have gotten to a place of much better mental health. I am sat outside. It is uncharacteristically beautiful today. Um, just checking the weather and it is 25 degrees. Who'd have thought it in autumn? Uh, I do live by a school. I'm hoping that the school lunchtime break doesn't kick off in the next 10 minutes but if it does I shall pop inside and you probably just heard a car go past so apologies as well for any background noise but it's just too lovely to be inside and as part of my mental health and keeping uh yeah just a much more positive connective nurturing headspace I spend as much time as possible outside it's a really calm beautiful still day so it would be a shame to record this podcast from inside. So, Mental Health Awareness Week, certainly a topic that is dear to my heart and having mental health awareness personally for myself and having the awareness of how my mind was not in a good place enabled me to overcome many mental health issues, struggles, challenges, throughout my teens and 20s and even to this day I still catch myself in a negative headspace. The theme of this year's mental health awareness is on anxiety and it's certainly something that I have had many years unfortunately of lived experience with chronic anxiety. I was medicated on sertraline. So in this episode I want to share with you my experience of anxiety also highlight and share about how people show and express anxiety in many different ways and therefore the solution recovery, the way to help someone who has anxiety or is suffering with anxiety cannot be one size fits all, it has to be unique and hopefully I'll give you some ideas and ways in which you can be aware of how you can quieten your mind or curb your anxiety or um, make you less anxious because everyone needs their unique way. I'm also going to talk about how anxiety can be um, displayed, displayed is the wrong word, but how people can portray being anxious and often the sort of diagnosis or the cause of that is anxiety gets missed because it might be a physical way someone's displaying being anxious it might be a behavioral trait it might be um, psychologically it might be emotionally mentally there's many ways in which anxiety can be seen or play out in a person so that's really important to have that awareness and then um, what is anxiety and how we can approach becoming less anxious So maybe let's start there. So the Google definition of of anxiety is intense, excessive, persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. So obviously there are elements of um, feelings when you maybe get a little bit overwhelmed or a little bit nervous or a little bit intimidated, potentially you might be going on a date or you might be 
doing a physical skill for the first time or abseiling or something, that is um, maybe an experience of excitement or nerves or fear or um, got the jitters. It has to be a persistent and intense. And usually what I, how I've kind of thought about anxiety is that it can often be irrational, which seems pretty unempathetic of me to kind of label someone's experience as irrational. The reality is someone who is anxious cannot talk themselves out of that anxiety because the very nature of the anxiety doesn't make sense. There's no rationale behind it. You can't logically solve the problem that is causing the anxiety because anxiety is an irrational thought about usually the future. So that's really important. Um, most of our anxiety is because we are worrying about something about to happen, something linked to an everyday situation or um, a fear of a perception of how some event or encounter might go. But it's a, a worry, a concern, um, an excessive, intense, persistent fear about something that hasn't yet happened. It can be based on past experience, but the cruel fact of anxiety is that it amplifies, so it increases um, with time because anything that you focus on and you put your energy towards grows. That's just, uh, I don't know what that is, quantum physics or just the, a fact of life. The more you think about something, um, the more you will manifest that in your life. The more you feel a certain way and you put energy and focus on that feeling, the more you will feel it. So the more that you are anxious, a self-perpetuating ball of terror will continue to grow and continue to roll and just get worse and worse and worse. So um, anxiety, when you look at it as something that is usually coming about because you are fearful of something that hasn't yet happened, it can kind of be helpful to recognise that first and foremost. So really, really anxious of uh, going on a date because you, and this is a very light example, um, because you're worried that you might make a fool of yourself or the person might be aggressive or you might um, get too nervous and have awkward silences or something like that. You're actually not worrying about any moment that has occurred. So I'm not going to go into how we can solve anxiety, but I think it's important to sort of acknowledge what anxiety is. I want to share a little bit about my personal experience. And then, of course, we'll get on to probably why you're listening. And that is ways in which we can help limit anxiety and, and feelings of anxiety. So... When I was about 12, 12, 13, my parents separated and I didn't realise, so this is one thing that kept me in the spiral of, of hyper-anxiety is that I wasn't aware that I was even anxious, but I was extremely anxious about the prospect of change. So we lived very fortunately in a lovely country location, beautiful house. I thought my family was a stable kind of strong unit. And then overnight, it was the fear of the unknown. It was the fear of my parents um, going their separate ways, what that looked like and how um, I was going to sort of fit into the new framework of life. So I became extremely anxious and in order to sort of and this was all done subconsciously, so I wasn't I wasn't aware of this. I've only 
become aware of this with a lot of self-work, I started to limit my food intake, I started to over-exercise, and I started to become um, very hyper-focused on things that I could control. That then later turned into obsessional compulsive disorder. So you could say that the over-exercise was an obsessive compulsion to exercise, but also the anxiety would play out. And these were all what I kind of relied on as coping strategies because all of the dangerous and harmful behaviours that I started to inhibit or exhibit, sorry, um, were a distraction from the overwhelming feeling of anxiety. So usually someone will show anxiety as a behaviour or a physical response. So their hair might fall out or they might get a stutter or they might become... Um, OCD and and really scatty and really manic and obsessional so for me I didn't realize at the time but by over exercising being obsessed with the number three and seven weighing and calculating my food um, weird things like I had to always arrange mug handles in order of size of mug and the, the handles had to face the right the microwave I could couldn't stop it on any other numbers other than three and seven. So I'd like run across a room um, to stop the microwave. The kettle couldn't fully boil, even in people's houses. You know, I'd run across the kitchen, stop the kettle. Um, a lot of the OCD behaviours were probably really embarrassing and actually made me present as someone who was very mentally unwell. But unbeknownst to me they acted as a way as a coping strategy to distract myself from the anxiety around the fourth change that had become my life because of my parents separation so if you know my story you'll know that the negative behaviors got so bad that I lost um, a serious dangerous amount of weight and that led me to needing to be in hospital and I was in hospital for about a year, just over a year, and then my weight got up to kind of a level that was deemed safe and appropriate, but my mindset hadn't improved. So I was still really struggling with anxiety alongside that I had chronic depression as well. So I really didn't want to exist anymore and did everything possible to try and unfortunately end my life. Um, so I relapsed. So the behaviours that I had inhibited or exhibited, I don't know what the word is there, but the behaviours that I had had before going into hospital, I continued to do those, and I did them at the same kind of excessive, unhealthy amount, to the point that I then relapsed and I had to go back into hospital and um, had about another six months or so in hospital. Once I came out of hospital the second time, I was um, put on a medication for anxiety. So the aim there, I guess, is to lower the amounts of anxious stress that I was experiencing. Therefore, the behaviours that I did as a coping strategy against the anxiety would become less. So that did happen. But unfortunately for me, and I've heard this from many other people, being on sertraline, being on an anti-anxiety medication actually kind of made me feel numb. I felt like I didn't experience any emotion, any feeling, kind of turned into like a zombie and I lost all sense of my personality and my 
um, identity. So it was really confusing because I'd lost the person I was anyway when I became ill, um, became very different from my usual healthy self. And then I was trying to find myself after hospital, but I just couldn't on the medication. However, every time I tried to come off the medication, it was actually really dangerous and physically I felt um, bad side effects, but mentally um, it was almost like the chemicals in the medication were keeping me sort of numb. Um, when I came off them, my body, my mind, my psyche, everything went a bit manic. So I was actually taking anti-anxiety medication for 10 years. And coming to Australia was one of the best things for me, both just for my person, personal preference of nature and my lifestyle, but also because medication isn't free here. So this, this kind of plays into my being a bit stingy. Because I resented, I hated that I had to pay for my own anti-anxiety meds, I thought, you know what, there's got to be another way. I'm going to find a way to not be reliant on these drugs, just so I can save myself like $30 a month or whatever it was. So that's when I started to be able to um, gradually in time realize my um, displays or my behaviors that were linked to being anxious and anxiety, having awareness of those, nipping them in the bud or asking myself, okay, I'm doing this, so clearly I'm anxious, why am I anxious? And then figuring out a way to reduce the anxiety that was causing the behavior that was making me feel anxious. So taking it way back in layers. So my go-to coping strategies when I was severely anxious were cutting my hair. And obviously these are all a bit weird and irrational, but certainly things that I used to do. So had a few scary moments where I actually shaved my head completely. But if I started to cut my hair, tweak a little bit here, add a fringe, take a uh, an inch off, and then the next day have a desire to put some layers in. Now I know, I haven't done this for years, but now I know that, okay, that's a warning sign. I know that I'm anxious. The other one, no surprise, I would over-exercise um, and I would sort of associate having to exercise if I'd eaten something or if I felt a bit lazy, whereas now I use exercise as a really positive way to deal with anxiety. The other one, a little bit more subtle, is that my sensitivity to noise would become heightened. Um, I've only just recently in the last few months realised that this is even something that I had, a condition. I still have. I'm still dealing with this. I'm, I'm still working with an audiologist. But when I'm anxious, overwhelmed, stressed, um, life all seems a bit too much. I really struggle with background noise, any noise, everyday noise, things that would just normally wouldn't even be consciously recognized. A kettle boiling, a car going past, a child talking, everything. Noise just really struggle. I struggle with. And probably the last indicator that I was starting to feel anxious again was that I wouldn't be creative. So there isn't really a day that goes by now, partly because it's my job, but because I'm in a really good headspace, where I don't do some sort of creativity, a little sketch, a little like pushing some paint around a canvas, a um, bit of photography, very, very creative, very artsy. There were times there in the last sort of 10 years, 
from when I've come to Australia even, where I recognise I hadn't picked up a biro or a pencil or done any creative artsy things for months on end. And that is a massive warning sign for me. So I would suggest and recommend that if you know you're the kind of person who does get anxious, can you recognise in which ways they show themselves? Because kind of oddly, we would probably associate anxiety as a mental health disorder. I mean, that's why I'm talking about it in Mental Health Awareness Week. But very rarely does it show up as a mind condition. And what I mean by that is it shows up as a physical behavior, as a physical symptom. So you might get um, psoriasis, you might have alopecia, you might lose your hair, you might, um, like I've said, Tourette's, you might get really sluggish and have no energy, you might get sweaty, heart racing. So even though it's a mind thing, it it shows up as either a physical thing or a behavior or a mood, psychological. So you could suddenly get really angry, irritable. That's probably linked with my sound sensitivity. Um, You could get really short with people, same as irritability, I guess. You could become over obsessional. So you can't kind of let things go. You're a little bit hyper um, stressed and angsty and you're focusing way too much on the small stuff that doesn't really matter. So I think it's important to make that distinction that even though anxiety is considered a condition of the mind, the signs that someone is anxious usually are physical, psychological, even spiritual, and very much emotional. So emotion very much is the mind, but more often than not, you will, if you're if you're attuned to this, to a loved one or a friend, things like even getting the hiccups or burping or getting more cramps especially gut conditions so if you have IBS or if you're prone to kind of feeling which I do actually I miss that off the list um if you're anxious and you get a lot of kind of tummy gut issues be aware of that because your body is fantastic I've said this so many times the body is amazing at showing us how we're feeling the problem is we're just not listening to our bodies enough. There's so many pills and procedures and um, ways in which we can eradicate. If we have a headache, oh, just pop a pill. If we have um, diarrhea or whatever, we just take a, a tablet. If we have um, dry skin or if we're sweaty, clammy, just put a cream on it. It's like there's something for everything, but there's a reason there's a reason why your body is having that reaction and more often than not it will be potentially some sort of anxiety unless it's um, symptomatic from an environment but usually the environment is the mindset because that's what we're living in. I treat the mind as an environment and if you're walking around obviously (laughs) in your mind which we all do we're walking around being dictated to by our mind That is the environment in which life is going to play out. So if your mind is a dirty, um, dangerous, anxious, stressed, painful, fearful location, environment, if it's a scary place up there in your head, well, then that's how you're going to walk through the world and present. And that's how the world's going to present to you. So we've got to get the mind in a healthy place and 
limit anxiety in order to help with our mental health. So the other interesting sort of uh, thought I had, I was writing a couple of notes about this topic, is that oddly, what makes one person anxious, the absolute opposite could be a source of anxiety for some someone else. So the unknown is often a source of anxiety for people that keeps people in their homes that keeps people doing routine it keeps people from going on holiday it keeps people from meeting new people a lot of people get genuine anxiety around the unknown or change whereas for someone like me the known the boredom the monotony the routine the structure the constant same that would be more anxiety inducing than something being unknown I need change I need excitement I need new Similarly, people, some people get really anxious around people, they, they, they struggle with social situations, and you can definitely recognise this when someone can't hold eye contact, or they're by themselves in a room, or um, they don't say anything, or even people say too much because they're trying to overcompensate, but a lot of people um, do find people a source of anxiety, whereas others extroverts and people that need people around being alone would be a massive source of anxiety so the complete opposite um even something like money so some people think or feel like having too much money too much responsibility too much anxiety around how to spend the money care for the money be responsible for money whereas others are driven by a genuine anxiety around not having enough money That's a bit of a tricky one because there's kind of a lot of psychology around sense of worth and self-esteem with how much money we have. That's a a societal issue that we won't talk about in this pod. But you can see how there isn't one thing that causes people anxiety. Dogs just popped in mind. Like if I didn't have dogs and cats and animals in the world, I think I probably would get anxious because they're amazing. You can have therapy dogs. Dogs can be incredible for calming down. If I um, stroke my cat every day, which I I do, it's factually, scientifically proven that that's going to calm you down. But if you have a phobia of dogs, if they make you feel anxious, obviously it's not going to have the same response and the same um, calming benefits. So that's a tricky, tricky thing with anxiety is that there's can be a lack of understanding which leads to a lack of empathy because people don't get it. It's like, well, I love going in the ocean, so why wouldn't you want to go in the ocean? And for goodness sake, just jump in, like get over it. And it can be really challenging for parents and children, or it can be just a loved one when you have someone that you care about because you can't understand it, but that's the thing. I've said it already with the anxiety. It's not a rational condition. So we have to harness patience, empathy, understanding. Even if you don't understand, you have to hold space because if you get cross and impatient and um, angry at someone who's anxious over something you deem as stupid or you deem as inappropriate or just hypochondriac or melodramatic, then that's only going to make the person feel worse and probably increase the level of anxiety. So you don't have to understand people's anxiety. For instance, me doing this podcast, for some, the thought of of just having a conversation that's recorded, that's going to be put out there into the world for people to hear, absolutely no way, you're joking. Like that would cause so much anxiety. 
Um, but obviously I'm not going to force anyone to do that because I appreciate and understand that everyone has a different um, reason why they might be prone to anxiety. And I think that's an overriding message around mental health awareness and supporting people with mental health. You do not have to have the answers. You don't have to try and fix someone. In fact, I would suggest you don't try and fix someone. You just have to hold space, understanding, and say, I might not understand what you're going through, but I'm here in any way that you deem helpful. I think there's too many people that it comes from the impatient kind of um, approach that especially parents and children, because no one wants to see their children suffer, but they try and fix them, try and logically solve the solution. I'm not going to say who, but a certain person in my family tried their best to fix me. And instead, I just needed them to hold space. And by hold space, it might just be a message, say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't really do anything to help, but just know that I'm here. Or, um, I'm, I'm going to go and do this. Did you want to come with me? We don't have to say anything. We don't have to talk about your feelings or how anxious you are. Let's just do something completely separate and different. And that's a little bit goes towards what I, I mentioned before, that if you focus on how anxious you are, you're just going to amplify and increase that level of anxiety. So maybe now is a good time to talk about how we can overcome anxiety or help with anxiety. So one time I, I haven't actually mentioned at all, and, and this kind of got lost in the uh, other more serious conditions that I dealt with um, in my teens, but as a child, so just before I became a teenager, I had this absolute, complete, irrational fear of winter to the point where I'd stop eating, not because it was about my weight, but I just I just felt sick and nauseous um, I cry a lot. I wouldn't sleep at night. And it was because for me, the serotonin from the sun, the sunlight, I need that. Probably no surprise why I live in Australia now, because I absolutely thrive off, off um, sunlight. There's a thing called seasonal adjustment disorder. I absolutely have that. And many, many, many people have that in the UK, where it suddenly just feels too dark, too overwhelming. The clouds are too thick and too heavy. Um, and every year I turned into an absolute mess. I was a very happy, bubbly, energetic child and the anxiety would take over that I, I had to follow an adult around at all times. I couldn't be left alone. I'd be crying uncontrollably, um, really worrying. And those feelings would creep in around sort of October, November. And it was the fear of the expected anxiety that was coming, that was coming in the school holidays, that was coming in um, the darkest days where it goes dark at four o'clock. Um, so all of these, all of these things, I've gone off on a tangent a bit there, but all of these um, sources of anxiety needed a solution. I needed to get in control of the, the expected fear because the anxiety was actually, so much of my anxiety was about the fear of being anxious. Feeling anxious is one of the most horrific, awful feelings. I would never wish it upon anybody. And often it's the fear of then becoming anxious that makes you anxious, which feeds into actually a full-blown anxiety um, 
panic attack. Actually, sorry, before we go on to how to, to solve and fix anxiety, I do just want to share a couple more ways in which it can present. So panic attacks, anxiety attacks are usually a lack of breath, so being able to breathe properly. Often can be people passing out. I used to faint just as and when. Probably there was a point where I was fainting daily. It was almost like it was easier to black out and take myself out of the situation than deal with the overwhelming um, emotional turmoil that I was in. And we've always we've already mentioned physical changes. So someone gets clammy, gets really hot or pale. Um, just any situation whereby the behavior doesn't quite fit the environment. So if you're sat around reading a book or if you're asleep and then your partner suddenly wakes up and feels like they're having a heart attack, chances are it's a panic attack. It's an anxiety um, expression of anxiety. Um, obviously, anxiety can be acute, so it can um, just be about one event. That's a bit more shock. Um, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to try and get into the nitty gritty. But more often than not, anxiety is chronic. So it builds up slowly over time, over weeks, over months. And then if it's not addressed, it can be a full-blown disorder where it affects your everyday, where people have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, where you do a behavior that is detrimental to um, that you do every single day as a way to try and um, silence or um, kind of belittle the anxiety or distract yourself from the anxiety. So obviously anxiety is very much linked with addiction. So if someone is starting to show negative behaviors more and more and more and more, chances are it's because they're highly anxious and they're trying to cope with that feeling by distraction. So it can, it can really present in many ways. I think it's really important for you to understand how it shows up for you. Like I would cut my hair, not be creative, be a little bit OCD. Um, and that way you can then take the steps needed. So how do we deal with anxiety? Because it is a physical condition that shows up physically, I suggest starting physically with how you're going to solve and resolve. So do something with the body. So if you're highly anxious and your heart is pounding and you're sweaty and you're clammy and you feel really, really, really stressed, ground yourself. Obviously, it's coming from the mind, but it's showing up physically. So start with a physical way in which you can help yourself. Placing your hand, one on your heart, your left hand on your heart, one hand on your tummy, and just taking three deep breaths in and out through the nose, and um, in through the nose, out through the mouth. <sighs> Grounding your feet on the earth, just feeling your feet, take your shoes off, take your socks off, feeling your feet on a natural surface, lawn, sand, doesn't matter, stone, if it's a nice cold stone, just grounding yourself literally in the earth. We all know that water is incredible, the ocean, cold plunges is fantastic. We can't all just like get out of the office and jump into a cold bath, but have that as part of your sort of life, your lifestyle. And the best thing to do to curb anxiety is to do these little behaviors before you feel anxious. 
it's a little bit like um, an anti-rust coating. You don't want to put something like a, I don't know, I'm just thinking of a car. You don't want to put a car that doesn't have a, an, a paint on it out in the rain and then wait till it gets rusty and then put an anti-rust coat on it. You need to do these things as a preventative measure because we've already said that the more you experience little teeny bits of anxiety, they build and build and build and build, like compounding. Before you know it, you are ruled by anxiety and you've got anxious behaviours and thoughts and feelings all the time. So find things for you physically that you can do. I use a Shakti mat. Um, A Shakti mat is just lots of little plastic spikes that stick out of this little foam mat and I lie on it usually daily and I started to use it to calm my muscles it's um kind of an ancient ritual where people used to lie on needles and nails um and I thought it was wonderful I still do wonderful for my muscles to relax my muscles but what I've since realized I do a little meditation and thoughtful mindfulness whilst lying on the shakti it's more beneficial or as beneficial for my peace of mind as for my muscles, which is extraordinary because I'm just lying on a bed of plastic spikes. So I'm not quite sure how it works, but I think it must have something to do with grounding me. Um, my fascial layer, which is a little bit technical, but you have this collagen sort of sheath that goes around all your muscles that relaxes, um, gets lubricated, hydrated, Something about just lying down on little spikes is fantastic for um, anxiety levels. Um, I think looking back at the past can be super duper helpful. So we've already said anxiety is usually a fear of the unknown that hasn't happened yet. So you're anxious about something that may never happen. The uh, chances are it actually won't. So I don't know what the stats are, but I'm sure that most people are anxious over something that probably 90% of the time will never happen. And it's never as bad as you seem. Um, So because you're worrying about something in the future, I often like to draw up examples of when I was anxious. So take myself back to that moment in time when I was anxious and then think back to was that rational, helpful, or necessary. So let's pluck out an example. Um, okay, I'm, I'm anxious about, and, and we're talking chronic fear here, of eating um, a chocolate muffin. So I didn't eat chocolate for many, many years, because that was my main source of, of anxiety, my food group. I go back to a time when I, I can't even remember, but let's say it was 12 years ago, I ate my first bit of chocolate muffin after six years of not eating chocolate. All of the reasons I was anxious around eating that chocolate muffin, did any of them happen? Of course not, absolutely not. So if you can think back, go try and put a little bit of rational to what is a very irrational feeling. Let's think you're super anxious about going for a walk in the park because you have a fear of dogs. You go for the walk in the park, even if you get bitten by a dog, then you go to hospital, then it heals, and you kind of convince yourself that the the anxiety was rational and you shouldn't have gone for a walk in the park, blah, blah, blah. We're now a year down the track. So the worst thing that you were afraid of was going to happen, happened, and then we've healed, we're a year down the track. Did it end your life? 
did it kind of, I don't know, end in design? Not really. You're here. You've gotten over it. You've you've probably grown in in courage and physically. Who knows? You might have met a really hot doctor at the hospital or who's now your husband, whatevs. But the reality of looking back, recognizing that you are anxious, recognizing in what way specifically towards that event you were anxious, and then asking yourself, was that anxiety necessary, helpful, or did it was it warranted? The answer will always be no. Always. Always, always, always. So why do we get anxious? That's probably something I should have started with. We get anxious because way back in caveman times, we needed a way to protect ourselves. So we needed to be fearful and, and, and worried and anxious about a fire, because a fire is really scary when you live in a cave and you're surrounded by wood and forest. And if there's a fire, then you're going to die and your tribe will die and your cave people will die. We needed to be anxious and mindful and wary of a saber-toothed tiger. So it's a it's a built-in mechanism that all humans have. The problem is the world we live in now doesn't require that level of vigilance and anxiety, but we're built to find it. So because there's no saber-toothed tigers walking down the high street, because there's not a fire about to wipe us out, in I'm talking um, suburban kind of built-up areas, because there aren't those fears, we now fixate on things that actually don't warrant the level of anxiety that we're putting towards them. Because we forget, well, it's not even forget, we're not even aware that we have this built-in um, sort of mechanism to always be fearful. It's a survival technique. It's a survival, um, it's part of being human, that we're designed to be anxious, but we now put that anxiety onto things that really shouldn't warrant any anxiety whatsoever. I don't know if I've described or made enough sense in that whole sentence, but we're anxious as a survival technique. Unfortunately, we live in a world now that doesn't match up with the level of survival anxiety that we needed in the past. And we haven't evolved enough to let go of the anxiety. So some people genuinely will feel anxious if they have a pimple and they're supposed to go to a social engagement, or they'll feel anxious that they accidentally slipped and spilled a bit of coffee on their skirt. And now they've got to sit at work all day with coffee on their skirt. You can see how Back in the day, if that was a fire or a saber-toothed tiger, it warrants the level of anxiety, but we don't have enough things to genuinely be fearful of that would affect our lives. So we, we kind of stick them and we put them onto things that really don't matter. We kind of sweat the small stuff. Um, and that's very normal. But I guess having the awareness that it's, it's irrational and, and not warranted hopefully can free you up a little bit from doing that. So um, we've already spoken about physically trying to um, help with anxiety. Also emotionally. So it is a mental disorder. It's a mental condition. So in the mind, I've already mentioned the more we focus on something, the more of it we experience and the more it grows. But I think it's really important to cultivate positive mindful, internal chat. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but we become anxious because we are focusing mentally on something 
that then acts as a source of fear, which we then ruminate on and it grows. So we have to be aware initially of our internal thoughts and then we have to change them. So we have to counteract them. It's almost like you're having this argument in your head to to, um, invalidate, I don't know if that's a word, but invalidate your thoughts. So if I'm anxious about getting on a bus because, and this actually happened to me, I was in London and the bomb went off um, at Edgware Road and there was also two smaller bombs that went off the same day on two um, London buses. And so you might think, okay, that will absolutely warrant me then now forever more being anxious to get on a train and to get on a bus. But I have to, if I have anxiety around that situation, have to consciously have a counter argument in my head. Because when people are anxious, they find every which way to back up their anxiety, to validate their anxiety. So you have to almost kid yourself by every time you give a reason, a plausible reason, okay, um, three bombs went off yesterday, so obviously there's a chance it will happen again. Maybe a counter-argument to that is three bombs have gone off in, let's just block a number, 10 million hours of public transport in this country. The chances of it happening again are very, very, very small. So you're constantly having this little internal argument dialogue to dampen the thoughts around the anxiety, which will then bring um, the psychological, physical, emotional um, responses to that anxiety um, much lower, bring it down. So there's four sort of ways in which I think you can prep yourself to prevent anxiety happening. Obviously, it's a very complex disorder. It's very different for every person. And I'm not a clinical psychologist. So I want to be careful um, not to sort of prescribe. But for me, I, I do believe there's four ways in which you can just go about your life and include more of to maybe help limit anxiety becoming part of your everyday. Um, social, nourishment. So that by that, I mean actual physically. Um, emotion and joy and giving yourself a sense of purpose or a reason to get up in the day. So if you recognize that in any one of those four categories you are lacking, so social, you don't, you're not part of a club, you don't have very many friends, you don't have someone you know you can call on at any point in time, you have uh, not seen your family in ages, you just feel like you don't have enough of a social network, put some energy, effort and um, priority into that area of your life because guaranteed when you're around people, like-minded people, have a joint purpose, doing something that you um, get pleasure from with others, a shared goal, a team, absolutely they're always to be really positive in your mind, in your mindset. Nourishment. If you are putting McDonald's, beers, um, things that are described as food but aren't actually food because they've got more chemicals and e-numbers than um, nutrients. If you're an unhealthy body and you're putting unhealthy stuff and food into your body, that is not going to harness the best environment for your brain. So if you're having sugar spikes all the time, if you're having a gazillion coffees, that's going to mess with your mindset. So if you have 
the other three areas down pat, you've got loads of joy, social, and you've got a reason to get up in the morning, but you're giving yourself an awful diet and you have a Pepsi, like two liters of Pepsi every day. I'm obviously exaggerating, but yeah, if you, if you are not nourishing yourself, your body, then your body, and it's just your body without even thoughts, could start acting anxious. Um, the heart palpitations, which will then be a source of worry, because why is my heart palpitating? And then, then you think about, oh gosh, what's wrong with my body? Just give your gift yourself nourishment. I could harp on about that one for a long time, but we'll move on. Okay, joy. I think as adults, we forget the importance of just doing things for doing things' sake. I make sure that every single day there's an element of joy every day. And that's not an exaggeration. I either play a game, I um, immerse myself in nature, I do something with my sports teams, I watch some comedy. If I haven't done something that's made me laugh that day, I actively go and seek it out. I might even just watch five minutes of comedy on my phone. Um, Seek out joy. Because if your foundation for your mindset is happiness and joy, then you're going to be less prone to the stresses of life and less prone to being anxious about not being able to deal with those stresses of life. One major thing that we can all do to try and focus on and cultivate more joy is practice gratitude. I think I've done a whole um, episode on just gratitude, but we have got to start thinking consciously and being aware of all the things that we are grateful for in life. Not only will that harness more of that, We've already said where you, what you focus on grows. So the more grateful you are for something, the more of it you will get. But it just tweaks the mindset to a base level of contentment, appreciation, um, joy, gratitude. It just, it just sets the tone for the mindset so that when you do have a challenge, because let's face it, we all do have challenges and we all have stress, um, then... You're going to be more prepped and primed to be able to deal with that stress. Um, And the last one, I've just put a reason or a purpose. I think when we don't have a reason to our day, and it could be absolutely anything, as long as you feel like it's a good use of your time um, and you feel like you're gaining some sort of sense of well-being and purpose from whatever it is you're doing. Also, as long as you're not hurting anyone or breaking any laws, um, it can be anything. If you think going around and picking up rubbish is your reason to be on this planet, awesome. If you think it's volunteering down at the dog shelter, amazing. Anything, but we must all find a reason to wake up and and kind of go about our day. Find it. We all have something that we enjoy and we we take, um, yeah, we take take joy doing. So just go out and do more of that. Um, One thing that I, I think I'm going to finish on which maybe I should have started with as well, but well done for getting this far, is that being a human being, you do experience a fluctuation of emotions and feelings. And I think that we've gotten to a point where you might feel a little bit overwhelmed or a bit intimidated or a bit fearful or a bit, even a bit anxious. It's not the same as being having anxiety. And I think we we kind of rush to go, oh my God, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. It is completely normal to cry yourself to sleep once a month or 
not let's not put a time frame on it but being a human being is a human feeling we all have feelings and i think we need to be um aware and almost acknowledge and i wouldn't yeah i'm going to say it celebrate the diversity of feelings that we get to experience i'm going to put my hands up and say that i had a good old cry um on mother's day um i had a very challenging traumatic situation happen and um obviously I needed to feel that and I didn't just try and stop myself cry, crying. There's times where I've deliberately put myself in situations, mostly when I'm skateboarding, when I will challenge myself physically. I'm scared shitless, but I do it anyway because I know that overcoming the anxiety and leaning into doing the thing that scares me, I haven't said that, but that's a, a major one you can do, just lean into the thing that scares you take little bite-sized chunks out of the problem and you'll find that it's not as scary if you just face it. Um, It's normal, guys. It's normal to feel and I think we're quick to try and stop feeling or, um, yeah, pretend that we aren't aren't feeling like it's it's ludicrous we all feel and the more we talk about feeling the more we normalize fluctuations the problem is we need to recognize when one certain feeling depression anxiety mania um ocd whatever it is when one feeling rules your life when because of this feeling or this mental health condition Um, because it's so overwhelming that it stops you every day, that's when you need to seek professional help. That's when you need to go, okay, this is a problem. Um, This is a disorder. This is a condition. I need to get on top of this. But if you're just feeling stressed because you've got an exam, or even if you're feeling stressed because you know you hate dogs and you've got to walk through a park to get to work, that's okay. That's, That's part of being alive. So let's not try and eradicate feelings. It's about having awareness of, is this impacting my life negatively? Do I feel overwhelmed and controlled by this feeling, if we're talking about anxiety? Um, Is it dangerous for my health, my well-being, um, my physical health, or is it dangerous for other people around me? In which case, then you can have the conversation. And I will leave you with a lasting sort of little push for um, encouragement, I guess please, please, please go and talk to somebody. Even if it's uh, something that you feel you can't talk to a friend or family about, just go and chat to, I don't find anyone. Even, even, even talking to yourself, writing it down, talking to a tree, like go and, go and say it and, and start the conversation, even if no one's listening, saying it and acknowledging that you might be overwhelmed, you might have anxiety, you might not be um, in the best headspace, is the first step. So acknowledgement that maybe your mind's not in a good place is the first step to overcoming that issue. We've got to see it. We all know people that are in complete denial around negative behavioral patterns, addictions, behavioral traits, personality traits. If you're in denial, you're never going to be able to fix it or do something to help yourself. So first of all, tell someone, acknowledge it yourself, and then find out the ways that it shows up for you. How are those um, feelings and and experiences of of anxiety playing out? So what are your behaviors? Can you try and counteract your thoughts? Can you change the behaviors? 
So if you start frantically cleaning because you're super anxious and OCD, can you maybe go for a walk instead? Having awareness of your behaviors. And then last resort, I would say, go on medication. Just from personal experience for me, being on medication kept me alive, but it also was very challenging to come off. Um, And I guess set the foundations for a positive mental health um, earlier so you never have to snowball into full-blown anxiety. Thank you for listening. Very confronting topic. And um, hopefully this hasn't brought up too much um, stress for any of you. Please reach out if you need to, to Lifeline. I'll put some links to various organisations and um, help kind of channels on the pod, um, on the write-up. And um, check in. Maybe there's a friend as well that you've had concerns about, that you've had, you're kind of aware that they've changed their behaviour or something. Usually people's behaviour will show whether they're anxious or have mental health issues before they will be able to tell you. So if you have a sneaky suspicion, just check in with that person. Be their social connection. And um, yeah, let's all start being more grateful and less anxious. Alrighty, bye.